Amen. Good morning. We're so very glad to have you all with us, all of our members who are here and all of our visitors. We welcome you and all of those who are joining us online. We're so, so very blessed and thankful to have you with us. And it's wonderful to be together again. And we, uh, Joyce and I have uh, some very special people to us who are uh, visiting this morning. It's a surprise to us, Brother Fred and Sister Tangina Famble, and uh, we've been very close to them since before we were married. They used to feed me when I was just a, a meager college student, <laughs> so they, they took care of me. They were uh, some of my first friends uh, when, I, when I moved to Abilene, and so they, they mean a lot to Joyce and I. We've seen their kids grow up, and they've seen our, us get married, date, get married, and uh, have kids and start growing up and all that, and they are a true blessing to us. And uh, Brother Famble has served as an elder, been one of my elders, and a teacher to me, and mentor, and uh, has just meant a whole lot to me, and, and uh, so we're so thankful to see them again. And then we also have uh, Larry and Danette Bell, who I suspect maybe came to see some grandchildren, <laughs> but they're very important people to us too, and so we are very glad to have them with us always, and, and uh, they, they're here visiting uh, Ryan and Matt and the special, wonderful, those two little boys that are so, everybody loves those little boys, so we're so glad to have you all with us today. Uh, Larry has also meant a lot to me. When we started going to Oldham Lane, he was the only person I knew and uh, we knew each other from a class we were in together at ACU. And uh, he, he was real special to me then and always has been. And so uh, he's also served as an elder over us. And uh, it's been an honor and a blessing to work and serve under uh, Brother Larry and Brother Fred. So thank you so much for all of you being here. We, we're so glad to be here together. Now, don't forget, tonight we have our area-wide singing, youth singing. And uh, so that means adults are still welcome, but we're going to have youth from all over, and that's going to be a wonderful time. We're looking forward to that at 5 o'clock. You know, when I started my work at Oldham Lane in, in uh, 2013, I came on as the involvement minister, and one of the things I wanted to do was to, to really get my head around and, and grasp what, what's, the, what's the big idea of this role. And, of course, the elders provided guidance, but I wanted, you know, just, just biblically and, and, and even philosophically, how, how do you get your head around this concept of involvement minister? And so uh, I, I wanted that to help me just kind of give me an aim and a goal for my ministry. And uh, as, I, as I studied that and prayed about it and, and, and spent a lot of time thinking about it, I came to realize it's actually more simple than maybe I initially thought. I realized that what my job was to do was to help the church fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. In other words, help the church be the church Jesus would have us to be. And, and that, that played out in some different functions and some different ways. And then I realized, well, you know what? Uh, my job is, that, that's my job, that's everybody's job in the church. Whether you're a deacon, whether you're uh, you just have responsibility over an area or, or a member in general or the whole church as well. I realize that's the job, the goal, the mission, the big idea of everybody. 
And so I, I saw my role as just helping us to facilitate that in some specific ways. And, and the way that I, I, I talked about that was the phrase, make and grow disciples, coming out of the great commandment and the great commission. And so for me, that helped focus what it is uh, we were to be about. The programming, the events, the activities that we did, the ministries that we did, that's what we're to be about is the great commandment and the great commission. And so I want to take the next four weeks to, to study this with you and to share this with you. And, uh, and, and I think you'll see where we go as we build on this up through the last week. And I think it's a great uh, 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 goal and pattern and example for how the church ought to operate. And then I want to I ask you to think about, okay, well, what about my role? And maybe I'm a teacher. Maybe I help out whenever I'm asked to help out. Maybe I have something big that I'm over. Maybe I'm a deacon. Uh, maybe I'm an elder, one of the ministers. Wh whatever it is. I think that this is going to help you figure out, okay, well, well, how am I supposed to understand my role, define my role, understand what I'm about, and to know what this congregation is to be about, and, and any congregation of the Lord's church. So I hope you'll study with me. You know, we're back together now in person uh, all throughout the week, and uh, we're very thankful to be back together, but you know what? We've got exciting work to do. God has has his congregation here in this town, and he has worked for us to do. And I think we have a big responsibility on us, and to me, that's very exciting. We have a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous uh, responsibility uh, in serving the Lord. Now, I'm excited about our future. We're working on our involvement plan, and we have some things coming in the future. We want you to be thinking about okay, how do I need to be plugged in and serving and actively engaged in the Lord's work here? Now remember, we, I think I've mentioned this once, but it needs to be mentioned many times. Attendance is not the goal. Attendance is not the goal. You say, oh my goodness, a preacher shouldn't say that. Engagement is the goal. We don't want to just fill pews. Attendance is not the goal. What does attendance do? Well, that makes us feel good because people here, attendance is not the goal. Engagement is the goal. We don't want you to just come in and sit. We want you to be actively engaged in the work of the Lord's church. Now, that doesn't just mean it's confined to these walls. And then we leave and we're, we're done with the Lord's work. No, we want engagement, and to be engaged in the Lord's work is to be engaged in the Lord's work wherever you go, at home, at your job, in the community, in the, in the church, wherever that might be. And so that's what I want us to think about and study over the next few weeks. Now, we're going to start with the foundation of it all in John chapter 3, if you'll turn with me there. Now, did you know that in John chapter 3, you may be familiar with the beginning of that, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to talk to him. Did you know that the famous words, probably the most famous verse in the Bible worldwide is John 3, 16, right? And that's where we're going. But before we get there, we need to take a sneak peek uh, to, to see what happened right before that. And did you know when Jesus said the words of John 3.16, he was in a private conversation with Nicodemus when he said those words. So, so if that's the case, that makes me want to understand well, what was going on there and why would Jesus say that and what does that mean for us? So let's look at John chapter 3 
verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was of the Sanhedrin. There's other passages throughout the Bible that give us a little more information about Nicodemus. He was wealthy. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. So he calls him Rabbi, this title of respect. Jesus was not a, a, tradition, a formal rabbi, but he was a rabbi because of who he was and his teachings. He gives him the respect of rabbi. We know, notice that plural, we know is he kind of is he kind of kind of letting him know that hey we really know who you are we're just not going to admit it as a group because we have a lot to lose as far as the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees go but he says we know that you are a teacher from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him Jesus answered him truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of strange that Jesus would just start into that. Nicodemus hadn't asked him a question. He had simply kind of introduced himself in the conversation. He had opened it up. He had paid respect to Jesus. And Jesus just goes straight to this point of unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And why would he say that to Nicodemus? Why would Jesus just go straight to that big point that he had to say? Now, he jumps right into this because he knows who Nicodemus is. He knows he's a Pharisee. He knows he's a part of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was like the supreme court of the Jews. So he was a powerful, intelligent, uh, highly influential, and we know from other passages, wealthy person. Now, it also seems that he was a sincere person. In fact, Nicodemus was there to help bury Jesus. So he, he had a sincere care for Jesus. And I think he was, was honest in seeking Christ. We don't know a, 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 a for sure that he ever became a Christian. Did he ever convert? We just don't know. But, but Jesus goes straight to the subject he wants to talk about with Nicodemus. Now, the Pharisees... They believed, and Nicodemus would have grown up being taught and believing that God only loved the Jewish people, that they were the special people, and forevermore God only loved the Jewish people. And so, and so Jesus is going to get to that point with Nicodemus and say some more. So he's saying that Jesus... Uh, is telling Nicodemus that the only way you get into heaven is to be born again. Now that sounds really strange to Nicodemus, but Jesus is telling him, he's about to reveal more of it, that it's not about where you come from. It's not about who your, who your dad was, what your last name is. It's not about ethnicity. It's not about where in the world you came from, education, wealth. It's not about any of those things. Coming to me, entering the kingdom of God simply is about being born again, and you do that by believing in me. So he's dismantling what Nicodemus believes in, what the Pharisees believe in, what they were still uh, teaching, and what the Jewish folks were still believing. Now, this would have been a really shocking statement to, to Nicodemus. 
Like, what on earth are you talking about? In fact, he says as much. Like, Nicodemus just didn't understand this. And Jesus was telling him, don't rely on the law of Moses anymore. Don't rely on the tradition of the, the, the Pharisees anymore. It's something new now. And it is about being born again in me through belief in me. Now, look at verses 4 through 15. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, so he's going further in talking about this, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Why is this so hard for you, Nicodemus? Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but... You do not know where it <clears throat> comes and where it from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, <clears throat> how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, we could look back at the Old Testament passages, Ezekiel 37 and others, to see where Nicodemus, you should have got this by now. You should have already understood this because the the Old Testament scriptures were leading us to the Messiah who stands in, in front of you now. But they missed it, as we know. And, and so, uh, verse number 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's talking about heavenly things now. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Look at verse number 15. That whoever believes in him, that Son of Man who's lifted up, may have eternal life. So G Nicodemus didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. And then Jesus goes back to the example in Numbers 21 of Moses lifting up the bronze serpent on the pole. Do you remember why Moses did that? Because the people were grumbling and sinning and, and, and rebelling against God and Moses. And so God said, fine. And he sent fiery serpents to bite them. And then, of course, they start crying out, please make it stop. And so God tells Moses, make a, make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole and hold it up, and everybody that looks to the serpent on the pole will be healed. Now, what is that foreshadowing to? It's foreshadowing at Jesus, who's already used the phrase lifted up, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And also when he was lifted up from the grave and lifted up into heaven. So he's talking about this the Son of Man being lifted up and those that believe in him, whoever believes in him, uh, shall be saved, shall have eternal life. Now, now we get to verses 16 and 17. So Jesus starts out the conversation telling Nicodemus he needs to be born again. Then he's talking about believing in him for eternal life. All right. Then he says, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, the word for there connects to verses, we're on the next slide, the, ver the word for there connects verse 15 to verse 16. 
So for, after all he said, he says, for God so loved the world. And we can pause right there because we say, well, who is it and why is it that we can inherit eternal life if we believe in him? Why? For God so loved the world. That's why. Because God so loved the world. Now, notice that God's love here wasn't just warm, fuzzy feelings. It wasn't just words that he said. God didn't just, just write in the clouds, I love you. That He didn't do that. It wasn't just how he felt in his heart and he writes scripture, inspires scripture to tell us how much he loves us. What did, you, what did God do to show us that he loved us? For God so loved the world that he did what? He acted there was action. He took action at a particular moment. He gave his only son. Do you see that? That's how much he loved us. Not just warm, fuzzy words that make us feel good, but nothing happens. He did something about it. He proved his love for us, to us, by sending his son. Now, this is the very first time the word agape, the Greek word agape, is used in the Gospel of John. Now, John loves the Greek words for love, and he uses them often. But this is the first time he uses the word agape for love. Uh, and this, 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 this idea of Jesus being sent for all people, that whoever believes in him will be saved, is, is distinctly Christian. No one else taught this. No one else believed this. This was distinctly Christian. And if you think about what's going on in our world today, and it's only been magnified, all the, the un unrest and fighting and, and anger and hate and division, what is the answer to all of that? For God so loved the world that he gave that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Do you see that? Christ and the church was and is always the answer to all of the racial divide, the, the hate, all of those issues like that. Christ and his church was the answer. And most importantly and ultimately for the salvation of our souls. Now, uh, <clears throat> see, look at this. We know that God is love, don't we? The same John who wrote this wrote 1 John. 2 John, 3 John, and in the letter of 1 John, he tells us twice that God is love. But in, 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 in this letter, in Jesus' words to Nicodemus here, we see that it, God is not just love. It doesn't stop there. He proved his love by sending his son. So, so it's, it's beyond even just being. He shows that he is love by proving it. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for the ungodly. Do you see that? He did that for us. So God's love for the world made it possible for the whoever to, to come to Christ, to have eternal life. God desires, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, 4, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, did you notice how much Jesus is emphasizing to believe in him, that in him, through him. You see how Jesus has emphasized this just in a few sentences. He's emphasized it a lot. 
that. He started off, talk, started off talking about being born again, born of water and spirit. Then he transitions to believing in him and eternal life. Now, let's look at, we're on uh, two slides uh, ahead. We're on 1 Peter 3.18. Turn there with me, 1 Peter 3.18. Now, we're, gonna, we're, we're still thinking about John 3.16 and 3.17. And then we're going to go look at two more passages to see how they help us grasp what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus there in John 3:16 and 17. So 1 Peter 3:18 For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Remember the language of lifted up? Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the un the righteous being who? Jesus suffering for who? The unrighteous. Why? That. Is that in your Bible? Do you see that? Why did he do this? 1 Peter 3.18. That he might bring us to God. That's the gospel message. Being put to death in the flesh. Remember, he came in the flesh, John 1.14, but made alive in the spirit. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, being buried and raised, being raised to life by the power of God, was so that he could bring us to God by believing in him, coming to him, and being born again, as he's been talking about. Now look at Colossians 1, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, being lifted up in order that, or Peter said that, <clears throat> so in order to present you holy and blameless, blameless and above reproach before him. Who's the him? God. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith. What does that tell you? What does that tell you if Paul wrote, if indeed you continue in the faith? That means you can choose to fall away. God doesn't want to, want you to. He's not going to send you away. He's not trying to zap you and blast you and get rid of you. But if you choose to walk away, that hard heart of disbelief the Hebrew writer would talk about, you can walk away, fall away. But he's saying if you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, and here's, listen to this, and think about John 3 and his conversation with Nicodemus, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. What's that gospel? That, that good news of what Jesus did for us, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul paints this picture of what salvation looks like, of, of what Jesus did for us, of how we become Christians and gain eternal life. Paul's painting this word picture for us here in Colossians 1 and describing it so well. So we might ask, well, how are you? born again. How are you born again? On our next slide. Because Jesus was talking about that, being born again. But how are you born again? So quickly look at two passages. One is probably familiar to most. But just because it's familiar, just like John 3.16, that doesn't mean we ignore it, does it? And sometimes we ignore ones and, and pass over ones that we need to slow down and spend more time on. Instead of thinking, like uh, Brother Baker was saying, you, you know, oh, I know that. And his point was, no, no, think about that. Get an understanding of what, what's happening here. Revisit that. 
Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see being born again of water and the Spirit there? That's what I'm trying to show you. John 3.5 is right there in Acts 2.38. Being baptized, that's the water, immersed in water, and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's that born again of water and the Spirit Jesus is talking about. And then finally, Titus 3.5. Paul writes, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How did He do it? By the washing. There's that water again Jesus is telling Nicodemus about. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the what? The Holy Spirit. John 3.5. John 3, isn't that neat how the Bible comes together like that and helps us understand what it needs us to understand? So in this private conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, uh, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's almost like he says, Nicodemus, this is what it's about. Th this is it. Nicodemus, you want to know what your purpose, the purpose of your life, the meaning of life you want to know what the it is, what it's all about? This is it, the gospel message. That's what this is all about. And, and when you get that right, then everything else starts making better sense. It's the point of life. It gives meaning and purpose to your life. It is because of the gospel that we are saved. It is because of the gospel that we assemble this morning. It is because of the gospel that we serve in the church. It is because of the gospel that we strive to share our faith and make connections in the community, that, that, we, that we live the way we ought to live in the workplace and in the home. It's because of the gospel that we strive to mature spiritually, to grow spiritually. Everything is about because of the gospel. What does that mean? Because of what Christ did for us. And you know what that does? It changes things. Throughout history, there's been a lot of in in inventions. We couldn't even begin to cover them all. But a lot of in inventions that have literally changed everything, right? That, that thing came out and everything changes. The first one up there is the wheel, the light bulb, the printing press, the car, nails, uh, antibiotics, the phone. We could talk about all kinds of things throughout history and in, in the past and things kind of in current times that, that those, like, like I was reading about uh, uh, mind-controlled prosthetic limbs that, that work with impulses to help people be able to walk upstairs. That changes everything for people. So, so these inventions come out and change everything. What I want to say to you is that the gospel changes everything for us. Everything is changed because of the gospel. It, our outlook on life, our, our, our service, the way we live, everything is changed because of the gospel. And we want that change in your life, and we've got to be about helping others find that change in their life, that eternal life in heaven with Christ and God. And if we can help you this morning in any way, we're here for you. Maybe you need to study. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Maybe you need to help. You need the help of the church, the prayers of the church to get back on track because you want the gospel to really change everything in your life. 
We want you to know we're here for you. If you're online, we're still here for you. We'll come to you. Whatever your need is, we welcome you to come forward now as we stand and sing.